Thompson and Sedgwick warned you way back that this was the first time a new U2 album had come out while I was Minister of Fitzroy. It got worse this week because they went on tour. And so with CSI microscopic nerddom, I have been following um, the first two nights in Vancouver and wondering whether they are in touch with Fitzroy. It's the end of the first set, which seems to be the most dramatic at this point. I'm not going to go into it because, as you could tell, I could talk all day. But near the end, they head to Belfast, and we have Sunday bloody Sunday Derry, actually. And then they moved to Dublin for Raised by Wolves that Chris sang when we did the Songs of Innocence a while back, a song about the Dublin bomb in 1974. They seem to end that by some utterances of Psalm 23, coming in. You can see the Sam thing beginning to happen. And at the end of that, before they go into Until the End of the World, which is about Judas and Jesus and the friction between those two personalities, the debris of the Dublin bomb falls on the crowd. The visuals seem to be quite remarkable. But debris falls at the end of this song about the Dublin bomb. And as people are hit by the debris of this bomb, they may find in their hand, as they catch it, the Psalms, because that's what's raining down. Yes, a little bit of Dante's Inferno and Alice in Wonderland as well, but the Psalms are not only the Psalms, but they're tuned into Fitzroy. The Eugene Peterson version of the Psalms is bombarding the crowd that listen. One reviewer says, fans can take these shards of fantastic wisdom with them. From the fallout of terror and ultimate human error, God's blessings are still falling from the sky. If you're a visitor, we are in the Psalms. We are in the Psalms of Ascent, numbers 120 to 134, Long obedience in the same direction is how Eugene Peterson names it in the book that he's written about it. And this week, as we came to Psalm 122 that Chris read for us, I was back in Sunday school. I didn't go to church. Just one Sunday a year I went to church because that was the Sunday school prize giving. And I usually got a prize. So you had to go to church to get your pen or whatever it was. And so till I was 17, I didn't, I didn't go to church on a weekly basis at all. But from Sunday school, I remember a few things. Peter and those fish and being fishers of men. That lingers long with me. Some of the Psalms that I learned in Sunday school by rote still come back to me at times. Pharaoh and Herod have told you before always confused me, which I've learned in recent days isn't really a bad thing because they were the same thing. They were empire versus God. And the other thing that lingers, which I have no idea why, you wonder why things linger, is this thing I was taught in Sunday school, that the people of God, the Jewish people, ran to synagogue and dragged themselves home. They were urgent in getting to church, but they didn't want to leave. They couldn't wait to get up to worship God, and they really didn't want to leave worshiping God. I have no idea why that lingers with me, but from my very earliest age, 
I can remember that concept. Maybe it was because on a Sunday morning, I wasn't dying about getting to Sunday school. And I was always running home with my cousin to play Subutio afterwards. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But that's the psalm we're on today. Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. This is a people on the road to Jerusalem, going up to the house of God, going up to the city of God, going up to the heart of where their worship had its identity. Doug, when he preached at the start of the the Luke travel narratives, was kind of as a Scottish preacher in the middle of Belfast, daring to tell us that it might have been a bit like the parade going through the traditional route through maybe an area that wasn't so friendly. Maybe as they went through Samaria, and mostly they avoided Samaria, but maybe if they did, as uh, Luke 9 suggests, they might have been doing um, in, in the travel narratives, maybe they were getting some hostility. But there was this sense, as there maybe is on the 12th of July, whatever we think about it, of identity, of togetherness, of some sort of heritage as they went up to the house of God singing these psalms of ascent as they went, rejoicing because they were going to the house of God to worship. And worship is about what we give up to God, what we direct to God, singing to him in those ways. Lordship apparently is mentioned 27 times more than Savior in the New Testament. Our relationship with Jesus is about a new lordship, a new sense of worship. And so we sing songs of worship to the Lord, our Lord. That's what they would have been doing as they got to Jerusalem. That's what they were doing on the journey up. Worship that goes up to our God and our Lord. But also remembering that the God and the Lord that we worship, we talked about Psalm 121 and perhaps, and I know there's been discussions in some home groups since, about what was on those hills. But if it it was the prophets of Baal and the other gods that they were walking through asking, where does my help come from? Remembering that the Lord that we find in the scriptures, the Lord that the people who are traveling to Jerusalem knew of as they went and the one they were singing about was a very different Lord than the lords of Pharaoh and Herod and the emperors and the kings and those who would come from Babylon to take them away into exile. The Lord that they sing about, the Lord that we worship is one who is slow to anger, one who is patient with us, one who is merciful, One who we will find in his incarnation is a humble Lord who serves us by washing our feet, who dies on a cross for us. The Lord who is first, that image to the people in this day when these Psalms were written would be well known. The Pharaoh, the king from another country, they were tyrant lords. They were lords who bossed, who demanded. And yet we find the Lord that we come to in this alternative idea of the one true God coming first in the universe 
to become last in the universe, cursed on a tree, Galatians tells us, in order that we would become heirs of that God. The Lord that we worship is an alternative idea of Lord than the idea of Lord in the world. But we come as this morning and we are led in worship of this God. And worship this God deserves. But let's not think that in the scriptures, the worship of God is a cul-de-sac that just goes up to God. It's not songs that just go up. In the songs that go up, in the worship that we speak, in the worship we have in our prayers, in the worship that we speak about, we find that as that worship rises to this Lord, that he is concerned with us and that it comes back down and moves inward. As we declare who our Lord is, in our inner being, we are reminded who our Lord is. When Nehemiah heard about this city in a bad state, when he fasted and he prayed and he mourned for the city that the psalmists are singing about in 122 and heading up towards, and he decides to pray to that God, he starts by saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. He worships God at the start of his prayer as we do in the Our Father, as we do many times in our prayers. But as Nehemiah is worshiping God and raising these words up to God in worship, don't kid yourself, he's also finding these words moving inward. As he comes to ask a huge ask of God, it's good to remind ourselves who we're asking. So as Nehemiah praises God, he theologizes, he catechizes himself into knowing who the God is that he's worshiping. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, tell you what, asking that kind of God something will be slightly easier and we might hope for a response. He remembers the instruction that he gave his servant Moses in verse 8 of Nehemiah 1, because what's happening here is, in his worship, yes, it goes up, but it also goes inward. As we come to church on a Sunday morning, we want to worship God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus said to the Samaritan woman we should do. But we're also coming to be catechized, theologized, and inwardly strengthened as the people of God. Worship goes up, but it also goes in. The spirituals, which I love the theology of, were all about the identity and theology of a people under slavery. They had a Lord who many times was a tyrant, a slave owner who would do all kinds of things to these slaves. And so they wrote these songs of worship, but more than worship, to give themselves the strength and the belief that there was an alternative idea in the universe and what they were experiencing wasn't really how it was. So James Cohn in his book, The Spirituals and the Blues, talks about how when they were singing about heaven, it wasn't some by and by that they knew they were going to some other time. It was so that they could, in their singing, in their worship, 
imagine the way the universe really was because the way the universe really is that their slave owner wasn't in charge and that the songs they were singing were saying there is another God in charge and that God's a different kind of God and that God's a loving God who loves them and so when the singing stopped they didn't go back to a world that was them under some slave owner they were able to live in an alternative world where they knew he wasn't the slave owner and that freedom would come and that they would be loved because they were loved by this God. And so our worship, so our worship gives us alternative perspective. Right there in Psalm 122, the statutes given to Israel that Nehemiah mentions or the thrones of judgment of David. These people are coming to get another perspective of how this world works. Because as they go back down out of Jerusalem to where they were coming from, they would need that alternative perspective if they were going to not be a cul-de-sac, but find God as a highway into changing the world that they live in. And that's where this psalm goes in the end. In fact, the psalm talks very little about God. The psalm talks much more about Jerusalem. And when we get to verse 6, we find that the psalm does not talk only about worship going up to God and worship coming inward to give us our sense of identity and who we are and spiritual strength, but then it pours out into the city. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Eugene Peterson, as we follow loosely um, his book on these Psalms, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he says at this point, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets the appetite. Worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets the appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of engaging in worship. It deepens. It overflows the are and permeates the weak. It overflows the are, or the are in 20 minutes, and permeates the weak. It's not a cul-de-sac. It's a highway back into the city to do what God would want us to do for the city. And if we're hungering for God, worship only whets the appetite because we will really know God when, as Romans 12 tells us, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual act of worship, and begin to live God's alternative reality in the world that we live in. So what does the psalmist pray? Oh, I love this psalmist. Because this psalmist prays what I talk about so much the peace and prosperity of the city. Takes me back to Jeremiah 29. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah, they're away from Jerusalem. They're in that time when Nehemiah is hearing about this city in ruins. So it's not just Jerusalem that has to have peace and prosperity. It's wherever we are, the city that we live in, we pray for peace 
and prosperity. Now, here's the thing I learned this week that got me very excited. The poetry of Psalm 122. The word for prayer, ask, shalu. The Hebrew word for prayer or ask, shalu. The word for peace, shalom. The word for prosperity, shalva. And where do we want this to happen? In Jerusalem. So we have shalu, shalom, shalva in Jerusalem. The poetry of this is remarkable. But what are these words, shalva and shalom? Well, shalom, Eugene Peterson puts it well. He says, you can no more describe shalom as you can describe a person by their national insurance number. There's Gary there. If I described him by his national insurance number, we would have no idea the size of that beard or the new neat haircut or the fact that he's going to marry the most amazing youth worker that we know in Fitzroy. Your national insurance number can't describe you. You're so much deeper and bigger and wider than that. And so with this idea of shalom, peace, mm, this is about wholeness. This is about completeness. This is about the salvation in the New Testament word that means our completeness and wholeness. Becoming fulfilled in who we were meant to be as human beings. The deepest sense of our humanity and even our individualism as well as what the city might be like. What would Belfast be if everybody tomorrow had that fulfillment and redemption and wholeness and salvation and completeness that Jesus came to bring? That would be a shalom. That would be something incredible. And this is what we're to pray for. And this hour spent will permeate out into the week as we find in ourselves and then in the world we live in this shalom. Shalva, the prosperity. Well, that's interesting because this prosperity has nothing to do with stocks and shares and profits. The word shalva is about leisure. The word shalva is about ease. It's about the afternoon on the settee watching city beat Swansea. It's about our leisure. What does that mean? Does God just want us to lie about watching football or playing with Xbox or going to play golf? No, there's something deeper going on here too. Shalva means tranquility and ease of life. There's no stress. There's no sense of being demanded of by these tyrants. There's this sense of stressless security in who we are. In who we are. Takes me back to another favorite Old Testament verse of mine, Micah 4 and 4. This vision of how it will be, where everyone will sit under their own vine and have no fear. Everyone will sit under their own vine and will have no fear. We'll all be equal. We'll all have the same sense of our preciousness and somebodiness that we were singing in the children's talk. We will all have enough. We will not sit under our own vineyard with workers underneath us. We will all sit under our own vine, the enough, but we will fear nothing because we will have shelva. Security, biblical prosperity, and our worship 
should send us out of the cul-de-sac of church worship into the highway of shalom and shalva. I always have, and I don't contrive it, I promise you, a twit, twit, a twit, I do have that for sure, Janice certainly has one, a tweet or Facebook status of the week. This week, my friend uh, Greg Frumholtz from Dublin tweeted um, a quote from bro- Brother Richard, who has a beard much more healthy than even Gary's and uh, some uh, monk's habit around him. He's a young um, uh, brother um, in, in, in a monastery down there. And he has said this, a spirituality that does not transform is a false spirituality. A spirituality that does not transform is a false spirituality. A spirituality that is very, very loving of worship in church on a Sunday, but not transforming the society as we go into it, is a false spirituality. I've probably told you before, but I was watching the band Jars of Clay in South Africa, and they were singing this new worship stuff, and they said to the South African crowd, who can be a little bit like an American crowd, apologies if you're American with us this morning, but you do get excited if you run a yard with a, a rugby-type ball. There's a lot of cheering and back-slapping, etc. And he was saying, there's a lot of new worship around at the moment, and this South African crowd was going crazy. And there's a lot of new worship around South Africa at the moment, and they were going crazy. And we're all enjoying this new worship. And they were going crazy. And then they stopped. And the singer says, and we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting to see whether this new worship is of God or not. We're waiting. Because when this new worship permeates out into the townships of Cape Town, then we'll know that this new worship is from God. Because jars of clay knew what the psalmist knew, that a spirituality that doesn't transform is not a spirituality at all. Seamus Heaney was quoted by Sammy Douglas from East Belfast last night in a Twitter account that said, if poetry and the arts do anything, they can fortify your inner life, your inwardness. Now, if you're sitting at half ten on a Saturday night preaching the sermon I was going to preach today, and Sammy Douglas tweets Seamus Heaney saying, if poetry and the arts do anything, they can fortify your inner life and your inwardness, yet copy and paste because that's what going up to Jerusalem was all about that's what's coming here on a Sunday morning is all about that the poetry and art of our songs the poetry and art of our prayers and our Bible readings and our children's talks the poetry and art of our offering and never forget it the benediction the poetry and art of trying to untangle the poetry and art of this psalm is also that in our worship to God, it would not be a cul-de-sac, but that it would fortify our inner being and our inwardness, and now permeate out into the weak, because they went up to worship, and the worship caused them to transform and change the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we have come this morning 
maybe rushing for the wrong reasons at two minutes to 11, or maybe eager to be together with our family, or more importantly, to be with our family in your presence to worship. We pray that this hour and 20 minutes would not have been a cul-de-sac, that it would be true spirituality because it will be a true spirituality that transforms, that fortifies our inner being so that we might leave here to bring shalom, shalva, peace, security, and prosperity to the wonderful city of Belfast. May we go in your strength, with your perspective, under your statutes, with an alternative view of who is Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.